Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast is provided by Brick. Brick provides you with talent intelligence that works, eliminating biases, time constraints and inefficient decisions in a world that's increasingly rejecting subjectivity. Brick's end-to-end AI-driven talent intelligence empowers you to make data-driven decisions across the employee lifecycle. From hiring, development and mobility to performance optimization and culture, Brick's science-backed approach is the only solution to inform every talent milestone by combining your data with their validated psychometrics. Visit brick.com, which is spelled B-R-Y-Q, to book a demo with the talent intelligence team and realise the full potential of your business. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 410 of the Recruiting Future podcast. As employers continue to struggle to find the talent they need, it's fascinating to see talent acquisition teams forensically picking their recruiting processes apart and reimagining them to reflect the reality of 2022. While talent intelligence, AI and automation play a part, some human fundamentals sit at the heart of an effective TA strategy. So what should recruiters be focusing on? And how different is the talent market of 2022 from those in the past? My guest this week is somewhat of a recruiting legend and has strong opinions based on his decades in the industry. Lou Adler, CEO of Performance-Based Hiring Learning Systems, is a prolific author, speaker and trainer. Keep listening to hear his thoughts on how best to deal with the challenges employers are currently facing. Hi Lou and welcome to the podcast. Hey Matt, great to be here with you. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Yeah, well I'm actually, uh, I don't know what I do, but I will introduce myself. Uh, I'm Lou Adler. I've been a recruiter for the last 40, 45 years. I haven't always been a recruiter. I've been in manufacturing, engineering, financial planning, and I've written a number of books about recruiting. But in my recruiting life, it was generally senior staff and mid-manager and some level of general management type position. So I've been recruiting a lot, but I've also studied the art and science of recruiting 
in depth and written many books about that. So we're going through what seems a very unprecedented time in terms of talent and talent markets and talent acquisition at the moment. How are you seeing things? What's your sort of interpretation of what's going on and the, and the market that everyone's dealing with? Well, there's no question about it that it appears to be unprecedented, but I don't know that it's any different than it's ever been. In my career as a recruiter, I never work for a big company. I always work for small to medium-sized businesses in, in U.S. dollars, probably $5 million to $500 million. So I was always dealing with the executive level. Nobody was going to pay me a fee, and I never reduced my fee, but I always produced A-level talent. So to find that A-level talent was always difficult, always a challenge. The demand for that talent was always far in excess of the supply. And now that just seems to be common for more positions. So from my personal perspective, this is the way it's always been. You've got to work very hard to hire great people. Now you have to work very hard to hire just slightly better than great people. So it seems to me some of those techniques, those high-touch techniques that I advocate now people realize, hey, we actually have to go out and attract people and work hard to get the people we want. So my perspective is now more people because of turnover, churn, high demand for good people, uh, things have gotten a bit chaotic. But it's always seemed to be that way from my personal perspective. Picking up on that, you sort of mentioned A-grade talent there, and you write a lot about hiring leaders. What do you mean by A-grade talent? What's your sort of definition of a, of, of a leader? Yeah, a leader, in my mind, can actually be an entry-level person. You might not know it at the time, but a leader is generally the top 25%, more likely a two to three years in the professional range, where it could be accountant, engineer, marketing, sales rep, where they've demonstrated that, hey, they are really in the, the best in their field. But being the best means they not only make their numbers, they make their results. They also means they help other people. They have a vision of how they're going to get there. They put the plan together and they execute the plan. Uh, they see the world differently. They're highly motivated to get that done. And when you break those ideas down of doing more, doing it better, doing it with more people, collaborating, helping others become better, that's my definition of a leader. You're not, it's a little bit hard to find in an entry-level job, but within six months to a year, these people pop out. <laughs> Their boss knows this is a good person. This, this is a high-potential person. So I guess I'd say that. Somebody who has the ability to grow and develop and become better and will rapidly learn and grow into a new and big, broader positions. One of the things that I'm seeing at the moment is many, many employers are having to really look very carefully at the way they recruit people, at the way their recruitment process works, the, the various stages that they, they go through and the elements that, that make it up in order to get the people they need for their, for their business. Now, I know that this is a real sort of core area of your expertise. So talk us through some of the elements of the recruiting process and what you think needs to change or employers need to really focus on if they're going to bring leaders into their business, particularly in the current environment? Well, I think it's not current. I think it's always. So I've been advocating the idea of this always. So I'll go back to my first search assignment 44 years ago, which is hard for me to believe, but it is true. And I already had 10 years of industry background uh, working in manufacturing companies, electronics, uh, automotive, high-tech, low-tech, retail. And the first assignment was for a plant manager for a company making hot rod accessories. 
in Southern California with the Beach Boys and all. And that's where the hotbed was. It so I knew the president of the company. I knew he was looking for a plant manager, and I he gave me a job description that listed skills, experience, and competencies. And I told him, "Hey, Mike, this is not a job description. This is a person description." A person doesn't have skills. A person doesn't have competencies. You want a good person. What does this person need to do? And he said, I got to have a person turn around the plant. I said, okay, let's walk out in the plant and figure out what it was. What you need turned around. Well, everything, it was bad labor, bad logistics, bad manufacturing processes, poor warehouse layout. I mean, the whole thing needed to be, but we identified what it took to turn that plant around. Then I found candidates who saw that job as a challenge and an excitement. Uh, this was a, a career-defining moment for them. It didn't need 10 years' experience. I had enough experience to turn the plant around. They didn't need uh, this list of educational requirements. I had enough education to turn the plant around. So I think when people focus on what they need to have rather than what they need to do, they start going down a path that precludes the best people from even being considered. And that was 44 years ago, and I've been advocating that same idea today, and I did it even yesterday with a very well-known company looking for a principal engineer, and I just asked the director of engineering, what do you want this person to accomplish? And he said, not one single recruiter ever asked me that. I said, well, you want to attract the top 25% person? That recruiter's got to tell the person why this is a career move. And that candidate whom you're going to hire has got to tell his family, friends, why this is a career move. Otherwise, all you're selling them is on what they get on the start date package and the name of your company and the brand it has. And none of those are drivers of long-term success. Matt, that was a long answer to a very important question. You might want to tear it apart, but that's the theme of everything I talk about. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes perfect sense to, that makes absolute perfect sense. I suppose just building on that in terms of the elements of how that's kind of reflected through the recruitment process, what should people be thinking of in terms of the way they run that process and the way they sort of measure the, you know, the, the success of their process? Well, let me see. When I train recruiters, and we do, that's what I still do. I don't do recruiting, but I help companies design their recruiting systems, and we train recruiters and hiring managers to do it right. And I basically tell as the, the core metric, and I even told his director of engineering yesterday, he said, Henry, I'm not going to do the search project. But if I, if I was doing it, I would say you're only going to see three candidates from me, only three, and you're going to hire one of them. That's what I started first. I said, on the other hand, I'm going to send you two candidates right away. And if you don't think either of those two candidates are finalists, we have a problem. Either it's me or it's you, or we don't know the job or the market is different than we think it is. But we're not going to keep on sending candidates in the hope one sticks. He's met 17 candidates already for this principal engineering job. Wow. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And he says, I'm just weeding people out. I said, let's look at your posting. Posting was boring. His recruiters aren't attracting the right level of candidates. It's a big job, a 250K job in the U.S. Big job. And it looks, it reads like a boring lateral transfer for a two-year engineer. So the point being is that, in my mind, the metric of success is, I call it win-win hiring. The long-term metric of success is, after a year on the job, the candidate says, I'm so glad I took this job and I'm glad I'm still here. And the hiring manager says, I'm so glad I hired that person. I'm so glad that person's still here. They're still getting all my big projects. That's the metric of long-term success. The metric of short-term success as a recruiter is, hey, if the first two candidates aren't any good, hiring manager are always going to say this one thing. Do you have any more candidates? Don't say that. Stop the process. And this is where my manufacturing background comes into play, Matt. Nobody would say, if you have a bad product, let's say, hey, let's make some more bad products till we find a good one. No, you stop the production line and figure out what's wrong and get it fixed before you make more products. 
recruiting somehow lo- loses that whole thing. And I think when I go back to this conversation, that literally was yesterday, I think recruiters are afraid of dealing with hiring managers. He, even the director of engineering, now I'm older than him by 25 years, but that immaterial, he said, no recruiter talks to me like this. They don't give me any advice. They just listen to me and like little lap dogs, hoping that I give them the job spec and it's easy to fill. So I think it's that relationship with the hiring manager which starts the process, and then it's not understanding the job itself. The best recruiters sit in the staff meetings with hiring managers. They know the job. They know the environment. They know the culture, uh, and they can ex- and they they have some credibility with good candidates. Otherwise, they're just filling jobs based on skills, experience, and competencies. There were so many things I'd like to dig into in terms of what you what right. you just said Once there. I get started, man, I can't stop. So I apologize for that. No, no, that's that's absolutely fine. But just in sort of terms of the interest of time, the one thing that I'll just pick up on is what you, you sort of talked about at the beginning, which was boring job postings in terms of how how people are describing describing the roles and, and all those kind of things. And I think that it's certainly something that I've seen hasn't really changed despite the the pressures that companies are, are under. You talk there about the role of the recruiter and their relationship to the hiring manager. How should companies be going out to the market to to attract the best talent? How should they be positioning themselves? Well, again, it's uh, so I asked this director, I said, I'm going to help you only in writing your messages and your job posting. But I said to him, I said, why would a top person want this job? I mean, I defined a candidate. I said, if a candidate had done the A, B, and C, would you see him? He said, absolutely. I probably want to hire him. I just, it was, I said, what do you want the person to do? I said, now we got to attract the person. I said, why? And I call it the employee value proposition. Uh, why would a top person want this job? What you have written here, well, they're going to mentor other people. That's, that's, everybody does that. I said, well, they're going to help architect the system. But everybody does that. I said, what's the big thing? If this person's truly successful, what will happen? And he said, the comp- he's going to change this. This person will architect our products and change the strategic direction of our company by being able to offer a product that we can charge three times more than we've charged today. Now I understand why it's a director level principal job and the impact. And I can sell that as a recruiter. Mm. I can sell that. So even if I'm paying, and the research shows that it, once you hit a threshold of compensation, got to be fair whether it's two let's say for this job whether it's x or x plus 20 percent or x plus 10 percent as long as you hit that threshold you're in the game uh then it's other things that become important and that's what the candidate's going to sell and and get inspired by and tell other people why i'm going to take job a offer instead of job b or c is because this is the work i'm doing and this is important work and if you can capture that work as important in your messaging it's a game changer and I don't think, and I see most postings are boring, ill-defined lateral transfers uh, surrounded by a bunch of BS and hyperbole. Mm. And I mean, it, nobody cares about the employer brand. Top 25%, they care about, hey, what kind of impact can I make on this company? If it's a terrible employer brand and I'm going to make it better, hey, I want to do that. And I think it's just, this is pure marketing, Matt. And I don't understand why HR and recruiters don't get it. Mm. You want to attract the best, not weed out the weak. We're going after the best people. It's a marketing thing. Let's just chat. So it's a different kind of a process that I advocate. Let's spend more time with fewer people, make sure they're the right people, get lots of referrals, uh, convince people this is a win-win hiring situation. Hire for the long term, not the start date. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. 
Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets, including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com slash pod and take the stress out of finding workers. Picking up on that, spending, you know, making sure that they're the right people. There's a lot of focus at the moment around interview and assessment in terms of how it should be done, how it can be done at at speed or in in an efficient way to make sure that companies are are picking the 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 people with the with with the best best potential for the for the job. What's your your view on that in terms of how interviews and and assessments should be taking place? That's a great question. I guess how much time do we have here, Matt? Here's the idea: as a recruiter. And had been in business just to give, I was running a manufacturing company when I was 32 years old. I quit because I hated the group president. He and I clashed every time I saw him. So when I became a recruiter, I knew what a good person was. And they achieve lots of results very quickly. So the issue is, so now I'm going to, so as I interviewed candidates, I always said, tell me the biggest thing you've accomplished, biggest leadership thing you did, biggest team accomplishment, biggest challenge you faced. And it was always related to the job. Hey, we've got to turn around the plan. Tell me the biggest thing you've done related. Are you going to design a new circuit to put on uh, the new Apple iPhone? Tell me about the biggest circuit you've done. Whatever it was, biggest product you've launched, I always would get at that. And it turned out these are all leadership things. These are things that people handle. They all had the right competencies, so they couldn't have done that work. So the idea is I focus on the results, and I find that leaders tend to have in comparison to the job, and they always have the right competencies. Having the right competencies doesn't mean you'll be the leader. And I think people just it, they've got this thing whole bit backwards. If you want to hire leaders, look for leadership results compared to the job you want, and you'll find exactly the competencies you need. And it'll probably be a different mix. I don't know if somebody's got to be results-oriented all the time. Well, they got to be results-oriented in that, and maybe they can do be results-oriented and be quiet. So I think the focus is on the competencies and the skills and the experience as opposed to the results the person has. And if you find the right results, you'll find leaders. And I remember one company, a huge it was a Fortune 100 company, They were so convinced of using predictive index. And it turns out the people they hired were 50% good, 50% not. 100% of the candidates they hired from us, which was about 20 to 30 in a two-year period, all passed the predictive index. And they couldn't believe it. I said, because we look for results (laughs) that you want. And of course, they've got it. You just got to kind of start with the results you want, and they'll have the right skills. So then I really I came to the conclusion that all of these predict so-called predictive are confirming indicators, not predictive indicators. And they only predict uh, preferences, not competencies. They ignore the fact that somebody who's quiet can be very aggressive in a very difficult situation. They ignore the fact that somebody who's dominant can actually be very quiet and supportive of people given that requirement needs. So they ignore flexibility. It's too digital, not analog enough. 
that's my engineering background. I have electromechanical background. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know. But on the other hand, Matt, I have no true clue if what I just said about the analog digital part was correct. I believe it was, but not positive. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's um, again, it made it made great sense. We focus a lot in this conversation on the role of the recruiter and what recruiters should be thinking and, and what they should be doing and how they should be relating to the, the hiring manager. What about the hiring managers them, the, themselves? Because, you know, very often I know that a lot of the people that, that I speak to have a lot of work to do in terms of helping their hiring managers to understand, you know, what the market's like or what good m- might look like for that role. What's your sort of view on the hiring manager's role in all of this? It's, let's be real frank, candidates don't accept jobs from the recruiter, good candidate from the recruiter and the company name. Good candidates work for the hiring manager and the hiring manager is the person who will help that person be successful in where he or she wants to go. So to me, the role of the hiring manager is number one in hiring great people. The hiring manager can't hire great people. The recruiter is just pushing up the push on the cloud. Isn't going to happen. And I told this guy yesterday, I said, I'm going to help you become a better hiring manager. And he really appreciated it. So the role, in my mind, the role of a recruiter is not only a career advisor to candidates, but also a consultant and a consultative person to the hiring manager. And it's hard. And like this guy yesterday was 45, really good guy. But he said, wow, nobody's ever talked to me like that. Well, that's because I talk differently than most, and I've been doing it for so many years. Um, just recently, I've, I've worked with uh, companies in the agricultural industry, one making egg bites, another one <laughs> selling hay around the world, literally, another one uh, uh, producing almond milk because that's the hot food. I just somehow got in that, that group, and I'm dealing with the board of directors. And I say the same thing. You got to define the jobs, a series of performance objectives or surrounded by an EVP. You got to get candidates to describe that. And then you have to have the hiring and the hiring manager is the one who's got to clarify all this. And the recruiters can't go out in the field unless they know the job and the company culture and the leadership style of the hiring manager. But bottom line, the hiring manager is the, ter- is the one who will get the candidate to say, yes, I want to work at your company. The credibility of that hiring manager, knowing the job, and having a track record of hiring other people and supporting and developing other people will be critical. And you can look at a lot of different studies from Gallup's Q12 in 1997 uh, to Google's Project Oxygen 10 years ago to Populous.org's The American Workforce Index. All of those uh, roles, really uh, all of those aspects of job performance and job success and job satisfaction are directly attributed to the quality of the hiring manager. What role does recruiting technology play in all of this? You know, we've seen a, a real kind of uh, acceleration in the speed of adoption of various uh, various recruiting tools and systems. What what role do they play as far as you're concerned in hiring the best people? Well, let's say this. I don't, I think people assume it's going to be the solution and it's not. When LinkedIn Recruiter came out, it was the greatest tool in the world, still the greatest tool in the world. But I look at LinkedIn as a database of 800 million people, not a, or excuse me, a a network of 800 people, not a database. So if you're just looking for strangers on LinkedIn, you're going to have average results because everybody's doing that. But if you can get referrals to your first degree connections, that's a game changer. I mean, so to me, that's a game. So that piece of technology strategically used for the right recruiters with the right reasons is great. I can find anybody in four hours for any job, any job. It's just simple. Now, I've got to work very hard to get them on the phone, but I can find them and I can get referrals. 
Seek Out is another tremendous tool. Seek, unbelievable tool. It gives you the search capabilities of Seek Out uh, when you use properly will give you 10 to 15 people for any job. I can, that, that was really this project that I'm working on the other day is we're working with Seek Out uh, to demonstrate that we can find anybody. But now it's the messaging, the contact, the support. So I think used properly, high tech in combination with high touch and good strategic, good recruiting strategy is a game changer. But it's not the overall solution. And I think that's where people think, oh, this is going to be the next great thing. Well, I've been around 30 years. Job boards are going to be the next great thing. It never was. ATS is going to be a great thing. Never was. LinkedIn, the next great thing. I think it is in the right hands. All of these tools in the right hands are the next great thing. CCAP, the next great thing. It actually is in the right hands. Hire tool in the next, is in the next, is the next great thing. Uh, FINA, they're all great tools, but they're not implemented properly. There's, it's not a the simple solution. It gets you in the game. And it is table stakes, but it's not the complete solution. And I think that's where I think people believe it to be the end game and it's only the beginning game. So as a final question, what does the future look like? What do you think we can look forward to seeing in the next two years? If we were having this conversation again in a couple of years time, what would we be talking about? Okay, now I'm going to give a plug, but I'll give a good, oh, maybe it's not a good answer. 10 year, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, McKinsey came out with a study called The War for Talent. At that time, people said the war for talent is going to be won because we had ATS's job boards uh, and we've got companies are building in-house recruiting teams. It has not been won. We still have boring postings. We haven't measured quality of hire. We still spend more time. We spend millions, billions and billions and billions of dollars on HR, tools and systems, and nothing's changed. 10, 12 years ago, I got kicked out of ERE big conference. I was there with a bunch of people. I, and they asked me the same question you asked, what's the future? I said, not going to be any different. <laughs> people running around thinking technology is a solution. We can solve this. We can't solve it. So if you ask me, and then yesterday somebody asked me, I said, Lou, you have what you're talking about sounds pretty cool. I believe it. What do you think it's going to be? I said, it's not going to change. People aren't going to do it. Even though it seems so logical, people aren't going to do it. Now, I have one company in the UK uh, it's now got a thousand people, but I met him when he had 20 people. I met the president when he was 22 years old. He says he wants to implement performance-based hiring. We did implement it. He now raised, I think it was last summer, $200 million. He says, Lou, I can't do it. I got to uh, use the money to do this, this, and that. So now he's moved away from what in his own heart is the right way to do it, to be more efficient, to make money so he can pay back the investors of $200 million they put into his capital, into his growth. So I think... So I have a very cynical view on it. When you when you do it, it actually works. We have proof over a thousand people, thousand placements. Only seventy seven percent didn't make it for the full year. But it's it's hard to do because it's not a simple solution. It takes everybody involved, uh, and you got to focus on talent is really number one. And it's everybody says talent is number one, but when you look at it, a recruiter can't work twenty recs at one time. I'm a good recruiter. I can't work more than six or seven at any one time with all the tools and technology. And I know what I'm doing. Once I get to 10, it's a numbers game. I just trying to keep everybody at bay. So my, so why I believe there are possible solutions, my own sense is, is quite cynical. And I've been kicked out of ERE as a result of that. So Matt, hopefully don't people don't hang up at this time off your podcast. <laughs> So as a, as a closing question, how can people um, find you and connect with you? 
Well, they can certainly connect with me. Follow me on LinkedIn. I don't, uh, I don't know that I have any more connections left on LinkedIn, but I've written a book called Hire With Your Head. We do have you go to hirewithyourhead.com. You can join the book club. We go through chapters in a book. We have a meeting. It doesn't matter if we every regularly we have uh, meetings online where we go through different issues on how to hire people. But hire with your head is really kind of summarizes a lot of the ideas uh, that I advocate and have been advocating for many years. So that's how I would suggest you do it. Lou, thank you very much for talking to me. My thanks to Lou Adler. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Hi, my name is Sarah. And I want to tell you about my podcast called, Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.